At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We stay the course! We are dead! We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil! Capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher. As a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it just is. It just is. Welcome to the audio version of Aeon Byte Live, episode 37. Raw, uncensored, and unfiltered. Just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. On this sacrilege, we were joined for a debate on reincarnation by two heavy hitters in Gnostic circles who represent what is best in Gnosis. That is Scott Smith, author of God Reconsidered, and John Munter, author of The Samaritan Jesus. Two went into a cage and a thousand lifetimes came out. It was a spirited but friendly debate on the doctrine of reincarnation. Scott argued for its shortcomings while John supported its strengths. Our discussion evolved into other topics like whether creation is benign or malevolent, karma, aliens, and much more. With audience questions, it was an evening full of mirth and gnosis. Sophia blessings for those of you who continually support. I can't do it without you. Please continue to help me grow this red pill cafeteria. We need gnosis more than ever, needless to say, and we've only just begun reaching those who need to wake up or simply cope in 2020. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or guess in their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. And thank you so much for those of you who support. 
if you haven't heard already, the merch store is now live, and I do talk more about it in this show. So go to the godaboveguy.com to get some of that Aeonbyte stuffy stuff, and we'll be updating much of the artwork, especially when it comes to Sophia and Baldi. And next week, a truly special show as Damien Eccles materializes at the Virtual Alexandria to discuss angels and archangels. We both express many ways to overcome fear and anxiety this year and how to unleash your magical selves. Don't miss it. Enough of my short drivel. Let us to our latest AB Live. The Empire never ended in any of our lifetimes. I broadcast my revelation to the twelve states and four off-world colonies. And so to know thyself is only possible through the eyes of the other. The nature of our lives is in the consequences of our words and deeds that go on apportioning themselves throughout all time. Reports said Commander Chang was killed in the assault. That is correct. Would you say that you loved him? Yes, I do. Do you mean you are still in love with him? I mean that I will always be. Our lives are not our own. From womb to tomb, we are bound to others. Past and present. And by each crime and every kindness, we birth our future. Revelation, you spoke of the consequences of an individual's life rippling throughout eternity. Does this mean that you believe in an afterlife? In a heaven or a hell? I believe death is only a door. When it closes, another opens. If I care to imagine heaven, I would imagine a door opening. And behind it, I would find him there, waiting for me. We are live. We are live. Welcome to the Desert of the Real here at Aeon Bite Live. And all I can say is uh, men still have nipples, uh, warm leatherettes, and birdie num-num. I always wonder if uh, words that I'm saying now, people thousands of years later will think, well, what kind of magical words is he saying? Maybe back uh, 2,000 years ago, some guys were around just screaming, about bar below, and it meant nothing. <laughs> and, they, and now we're trying to figure out what these magical, mystical names are. Yes. But... 
I will keep saying Birdie Num Num, even though it's politically incorrect from Peter right. Sellers, a party, because I contend that Peter Sellers is the greatest actor of our time. It wasn't a very good man, but he's incredible. His performances in being there as a Jesus character, Dr. Strangelove, I Love You, Alice B. Tuckless, and a whole bunch of the Pink Panther. Uh, incredible actor. So this is sort of my... Uh, honoring the great Peter Sellers. So, but anyway, good evening, everyone. I see people are starting to come into the chat room. Hello, Philip. Hello, Jasmine. Hello, Wyatt. Oh, hello, Vance. I see you're there too. So, um, <laughs> and uh, an exciting so show, a special show, our second debate uh, that we've had, and this one should be a fun one as we will be discussing whether reincarnation is real or what are the pros and cons and possibilities and so forth. I'm pretty agnostic on it. I sort of, uh, mm. depends on which past life is talking to me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but with us, we have some uh, great guests, past guests, uh, two guests that really represent what is best in Gnosis and what is best in the Gnostic community. Unlike Vance and me, but these guys are here, and it's great to have. <laughs> so first, what can first, you say? What can you say? We gotta, we gotta punch up, right, Vance? <laughs> yeah. But with us, we've got uh, my friend Scott Smith, author of God Reconsidered. Scott, how are you doing? And welcome back. Yeah, it's always fun to be on the show. I learn as much as I share. Wonderful. Yes, uh, definitely good to have you. And it's always a learning experience with a lot of insights. And also with us is a past guest, an individual whose work I find groundbreaking, pioneering, and pretty much spot on when it comes to scholarship, uh, books like uh, The Samaritan Jesus and all the work he's done on the Gospel of Tommy. We have John Munter. How are you doing, John? Thank you, Miguel. Well, you've done yourself, I think, with this show. I think we're at a level above heresy now. We're more into <laughs> scandalosity or scandalarity or scandalousy or something like that. Yeah, I mean, we deserve Scott to himself, be canceled. We should be canceled. His, <laughs> I mean, Scott, I, I, I'm sure, you know, in our genres is scandalous with his thesis that uh, there's no reincarnation. And, of course, my <laughs> books are scandalous and linking Jesus to Simon Magus and, and Samaritan Jesus, as well as my Thomas book, The Integral Gospel of Thomas Made Easy, which says that it's all perfectly understandable just the way it is. You don't have to tear it apart into scholarly dissection and autopsy to figure it out. So uh, we'll come out to something interesting as well this time. Yes, indeed. And uh, well, I mean, I'm doing uh, research for a guest, a journalist from the Smithsonian and the Atlantic, uh, Ariel Sabar. And he is one of the journalists who sort of uh, tracked the whole gospel of Jesus's wife with Karen King and all that. He just released a book on it. So a lot of his research talks about the gospel of Thomas. And he went around and asked all these scholars, I mean, all these scholars around the world. And then he said, look, one thing we can tell you is that the Gospel of Thomas is no accident. There are, these people, these ancients, had a specific structure, the numbers, the number of sentences, what they were, how they placed the sentences. It's the, the debate is what exactly is the message behind it, right, John? <laughs> yeah. But uh, scholarship exactly, agrees yeah. with you. Yeah, It's a mystery school hidden in plain sight. <laughs> Wonderful. And as always, it's great to have the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing in your past lives? 
Oh, pretty good. Depends on uh, which one, which universe, and, um, and so forth and so on. I have uh, several concurrent lives going on as Moondog. <laughs> <laughs> We're all sitting here like a thousand times, right? Saying, having the, almost the same conversation. Exactly. Nothing new under is, the sun. Which ones are we? <laughs> yeah, that is true. Well, awesome. And uh, good to see people starting to appear in the chat room. How are you doing, Samuel, Hannah? How's Emery? Good to see you, Miles. And so forth. So as soon as more people come in, we will get started with this debate. But as always, this show will be on audio probably tomorrow on all our podcast channels like iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio and so forth. So you can always come and watch this again on YouTube. But again, if you, a lot of people do prefer the audio version, want to listen to it. I'm one of those people. I like to listen to my podcast in the car while I'm out for a bike ride and all that. And uh, as always, please support the show any way you can. Uh, much appreciated, whether it's through subscriptions, donations, whatever you can do. If you have questions for Vance, uh, Super Chats will be put on top. We will get to your questions. Either way, please type in in caps a lot of questions so Vance can see your questions, and we will get to you with our guests. And um, I'd also like to say as an announcement, we do the merch store is out. I think after 10 years of sort of uh, debating it and doing a lot of false starts. Uh, it finally happened with the great help of Valerie Sunshine. So I'd like to show you guys, the audience, the YouTube, uh, not the YouTube, the, uh, the merch store. So now I must find the share screen and I will show you. Can you see what I see? Asus in search of something. Oh, incredible. What are you? Oh, yeah, that's the wrong one. All right. <laughs> New share. All right. Yeah, bad, bad, bad. Okay. Now can you see what I see? Ah, uh, T-shirts. T-shirts. This is the new Aeon Byte merch store. Uh, you can find, of course, the link at thegodabovegod.com, my homepage, or check it out here. We have the basic things, Aeon Byte, but we are adding artwork as we speak. Some of the taglines of the show, some drawings from uh, very talented guests, and we will continue to add as the store continue. I like this one. This is a brand new. It looks like an iPhone cover, but this is, uh, you got Sophia riding the Ouroboros. What do you guys yeah. think? Kind of straight have out of the heavy metal of the movie. <laughs> do you have one that says Aeon Bite Me? Aeon Bite Me. That, we <laughs> that, <will put>, this, <laughs> that would seem uh, appropriate to the libertarian individualists that populate our universe. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, let me stop the share here. I hope you know that you've taken a look. Yes, we are going to uh, have some more like funny ones and like heresy shouldn't be this much fun and birdie num num and all that good stuff. So we will 
definitely start populating for you. But that's the big announcement. And the next big announcement is next week we will be having my program, Finding Hermes, where we deal with addiction and mental issues from an esoteric point of view will be out in several levels. I promise I will put it out. I promise that I would put my cards down on the table in this crazy 2020 to really start using that gnosis, that Gnostic wisdom and hermetic wisdom to start uh, being more surgical and dealing, finding cures, not cures, but relief solutions to mental issues, addiction, and really finding a way to speak to our psyche, to speak to our soul, which I feel has all the answers. And as I keep saying, eternity hasn't gone anywhere and the solutions are still there and I want to offer them from the Gnostic standpoint. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with any of us. The Archons just raised the game this year and we've got to find new dimensions of ourselves that are already there for the answers. So next week, Finding Hermes will be out, our first interview on it, and it's going to be very exciting. If you have any questions about it, just let me know. But enough of my drivel and my intro. Let us get to the debate. Again, it will be, we'll start with a 10-minute introduction from each of our guests, and then we will do five-minute rebuttals, and we will continue for a couple of rounds, and then we'll get to audience questions about, uh, again, please try to type in the question for the guests you want to answer the question, or we'll figure that one out, and uh, we'll get going, and I'm sure a lot of us will learn a lot and awaken a lot on this show. So first, why don't we start with you, John? Please, uh, 10 minutes. Uh, it's probably good to start out with an introduction about yourself and then uh, let us know your views on reincarnation, please. That'll come with my story. Uh, my main point I want to make first is that everything in our lives is resonant with everything in our past lives and our, maybe our future lives as well because we have a higher self and soul that's outside of time and space that broadcasts into our light body and into this dimension, into our many lives, which shows up like a hand of cards. Some lifetimes you're playing the ace of spades, sometimes the two of spades, sometimes the king, the queen, the three. And the spade suit or the diamond heart club is... A vibratory essence. Everyone has their unique vibratory essence. And so I wanted to tell a story along those lines that I think illustrates this most perfectly. 1974, I ran into a spiritual teacher who, the first time she saw me in Roswell, New Mexico, she said, Toulouse Lautrec, it's an honor to have you among us. And I just kind of laughed and I blew it off and i ignored it for about 40 years basically uh, she might have not had any psychic ability at all it might have just been a physical resemblance because Henri and i both have big lips for example but i began researching that when i found people in my life that i thought i knew from my past life and so i was stunned when i researched Henri, whose life is very well documented and having lived a long life myself uh, without trying to become Henri Lautrec or something, I could compare them and I could find that there's really not a knife blades difference between us, like uh, the stones in the Great Pyramid. Beyond the uh, the facial resemblance, um, Johnny Henri, Johnny Henri, are resonate to the same sounds, 
the ah sound and the heart chakra moves up into the crown chakra, the E, the Johnny RE. So that's similar. The mantra latrec, for example, there's four letters that are the same mantra and latrec, latrec, mantra. There's the birth date. He was born November 25th. I was born May 25th. Exactly six months difference, other side of the year. Why, why all these are, I don't know, but possibly in the interlife period. Um, I designed it this way in order to make the point of our uh, being one and the same. He was born in LB, France, and I was born in Albion, New York. They both mean white. Our fathers both uh, served as first lieutenants in a cavalry unit and cared only about hunting and fishing. Our mothers were religious. They were family-oriented socialite types whose middle names derived from Eve. One was Evelyn, one was Zoe. When I was four years old, I skinned my knees badly, so dramatically I never wore short pants again until I ran cross-country and track and went swimming and that type of thing. And he fractured both legs around puberty. Uh, because of genetic problems, they never grew back. He was only four feet 11, five feet tall. And so he uh, really walked with a cane and a limp his entire life. So this, to me, was just a resonance. It wasn't a an equation or anything. Another odd thing is we both wear long underwear year-round, which may seem very odd for people living in 100-degree temperatures, but uh, it just happened for both of us. Uh, Henri was an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. Around uh, seven or eight years old, I had alcoholic anger fits. I beat up kids who come into my yard, for example, and uh, my mother would try to sedate me with a little white pill um which reflected Henri's uh past life and then um when i was about eight or nine i developed a delusion that my mother was trying to poison me so i'd make her taste test the food before i would eat it and that didn't go so far and i ended up in a hospital for a week with them testing my brain waves um so this resonated with Henri too because he was also hospitalized by his mother uh, for about nine months or after um, some paranoid delusions that he had. And um, so I spent a lot of time after that uh, going inward. I developed the tremendous inferiority complex that he had. I spent a lot of time at the public library reading Edgar Casey, Hinduism, Buddhism, looking for an escape hatch like any good Gnostic, right? And uh, reincarnation seemed just like the most logical possible thing that could exist if, if the God exists then reincarnation must exist because it was only fair if we had different lives um, that would compensate for lives that weren't so good and so in the eighth grade I wrote, wrote my eighth grade English paper on uh, Zen Buddhism for example my long one Henry was also a cosmopolitan uh, man who thought about everything and uh, socialized with every element in society. In high school, I lettered twice in cross country and track and qualified for the state meet in a quarter mile in 1968, something Henri could only dream about since he always walked with a limp and a cane. I took French in the seventh and eighth grade, but flunked it in ninth grade, as he flunked a baccalaureate exam as well the first time. But I had the nerve to take French again in college for a year and a quarter and passed it. In 71, I went to Europe and when I traveled from um, England to France, I thought, oh, I'm home. And uh, 
that stayed with me that that realization. He didn't speak English well, and I didn't speak French well. But I graduated from UMD with a BA in philosophy in 1972, just as Henri had gotten his degree. And in 73, I did go down to Roswell, New Mexico, and met that spiritual teacher whose impact didn't have a lot of impact on me because I didn't understand why it would make any difference if I understood if I was Henri or not. Uh, but Henri spent a considerable amount of time living in bordellos and painting prostitutes. I spent a few decades working with development disabled, mentally ill clientele in nursing homes and halfway houses. Henri walked with a limp and a cane, as I said, and I continued walking, running, jogging, biking everywhere in uh, Denver, Boston, Minneapolis, and it was a glorious life. Henri actually had a number of girlfriends, but never married, having drunk himself to death before the age of 37. <clears throat> I didn't marry until I was 43, but still had four kids which is a replacement rate if you go back two lifetimes. Ari and I both started to, stood to inherit property at the same age, which is remarkable. His father died when he would have been 48, and I and my family moved up to my ancestral hobby farm when I was 48. Ari loved horses, and I had a herd of alpacas. Ari was scheduled to become the Count of Toulouse-Lautrec, being descended from the long lines of kings going back to Charlemagne. I had an embarrassing genealogical hobby, which happened to result in 900 direct Finnish ancestors and 100 Scots-Irish-English ones. Henri and I have both seemed, both been deeply connected to both rural and urban lives. He hung out with communists, socialists, artists, prostitutes, literary fringe types. I've hung out with political dissidents and protesters and fringe religious groups. He was the most scandalous man in France with his lifestyle. I would rival that with my scholarship if I were better known with Samaritan Jesus identifying Jesus with Simon Magus as well as the Gospel of Thomas, thinking it's perfectly understandable just the way it is. And now for the fun part, for me anyway. Uh, my friends from Paris. <clears throat> you probably have heard of Winona LaDuke, the Anishinaabe leader who ran for vice president twice on the Green Party ticket with Ralph Nader. Well, we're friends. She stayed at my house with her 11 horseback riders one time. I planted corn with her and planted some of my hazelnuts on her land. We've fought many tar sands pipeline projects together. and I've uh, frequented her indigenous farming conferences for uh, quite a few times. I think she was Oscar Wilde, in my opinion. We were drinking buddies together in Paris in 1900. I loved his aesthetic philosophy and painted him in England. He was advised by friends to flee England before his trial on homosexuality charges, but stubbornly refused and got a jail sentence, which humbled him. This lifetime, Winona also may face jail when Line 3 becomes a Standing Rock showdown, possibly next year. <clears throat> she looks like him with uh, their long faces, and both Winona and Oscar have that O sound in, in their lives. They both like to write books. Now, Vincent Van Gogh was a, well, first a Protestant evangelist in the Low Countries and painted the Potato Eaters, which is a really a dark um, group of people together sitting around a table and eating and, and seeming very poor and huddled together. I think he was a close friend of mine in Dubuque uh, named Robert Rathig. Bob and Van Gogh had that O sound again. He was a Catholic school uh, well, he was a Catholic college teacher before being fired for his political views and spent his life single and poor. 
frequenting the peace community and doing photography. He documented the murdered victims of Reagan's wars in Central America, like Bishop Oscar Romero. Like Van Gogh, Bob was mentally tortured and forced to go on a psychotropics late in life. He gained weight and, uh, from it and killed him at about the age of 60 or so. He resembled Van Gogh when he was young. Vincent had a brother in Paris, Theo Van Gogh, who was an art dealer, who I believe is my friend Ron Fontana, who uh, Miguel knows. Uh, Theo was the first to buy and display a painting of mine. Oddly, Ron was also the second person to contact me after I published The Samaritan Jesus. And um, we're thinking about collaborating on a book together. He introduced me to Miguel Connor and resulting in a long relationship we've had. There again, there's a physical likeness of him and the O sound in the name of Theo Van Gogh and Ron Fontana. I've also met my parents uh, from Henri, who are now lovely and successful young women, 30 years younger than me, which is the exact time frame I cheated them out of uh, by purposely drinking myself to death. <clears throat> my father then was the playboy named uh, Count Alphonse Toulouse-Lautrec with a disabled son. This lifetime, she's a single mother with a paraplegic mother as well. The Counts of Toulouse-Lautrec used to be the kings of southern France before the Cathar persecutions. In this life, my father named her only son Kingston, or King's son. How really odd. So in summary, a resonance in physicality, a resonance in name and life events, and old friends and thoughts. One life takes up where the other one left off. John, I don't want to interrupt, but I'm trying to keep yeah. with time, and you're over 10 minutes. Oh, sorry. Okay. You can pick back okay. up, no problem. But again, no, I'm, we want to be I'm as fair as possible. Yeah, I'm done with that. So All right. Ahead. Well, wonderful. Yes, for the audience who's coming in, we've got John Munter, who just gave his introduction. He is uh, debating for or expanding for the possibility or the positive sections of reincarnation and now we got scott smith who will be debating against against so scott uh please take it away your turn now yes um i came to the topic of reincarnation during a spiritual crisis in the late 1980s when i was in my late 30s and uh, i'd had a long relationship with the krishna movement which uh, represents mainstream Hinduism. I've been to India and understand the Hindu point of view pretty well, and they have thousands of years of evidence, they would argue, for reincarnation. And I like the shamanistic angle where it doesn't uh, pretend that there's one benevolent creator God. Um, you can develop relationships with different deities. And um, I have a close enough relationship that uh, Paul McCartney and I are the only ones quoted on the back of the Hare Krishna cookbook, and I've continued my relationship, wow. and they, they actually helped me write the Hinduism chapter in God Reconsidered. Uh, one uh, second. Uh, you're, yeah. you're, I think your microphone's too close. It's popping. Okay. Like, uh, okay. Is this right. better? Is this better at all? Vance? Is this better? Yes, it's better. Okay. It's better. Okay. I know you're. I know you're excited because uh, there's a possibility Kamala Harris will be the next president. <laughs> well, <laughs> she's a reincarnation of Mary Magdalene, according to my sources. But uh, uh, one of my 
<laughs> one of my past lives just informed me of that. Um, awesome. Awesome. The, awesome. Um, so, uh, but, but I did something um, before I jumped in to Hinduism uh, that most enthusiasts don't do, and that is I read the critical literature. And specifically, I wanted to recommend three books for people who are really interested in this stuff. Um, Scott Rogo, the great parapsychologist I interviewed right before his murder, and um, the interview with him started my whole career uh, covering the paranormal for Fate magazine. Uh, anyway, he wrote a book called The Search for Yesterday, and it's kind of an agnostic Buddhist, uh, very objective approach to the problems with conventional thinking about reincarnation, and especially the critique of Ian Stevenson, who is often cited as the, uh, the great uh, proponent of this from a scientific standpoint. Another book, uh, Stephen Blake's Reincarnation Refuted specifically takes apart Ian Stevenson's uh, famous book called 20 Cases. And he, strangely enough, he uses a very mathematical approach um, to argue against reincarnation. Uh, then there's James Webster's The Case Against Reincarnation, which has two chapters devoted to what's wrong with the theosophical uh, society's version of reincarnation, which I believe John was uh, articulating. Um, it's not what Madame Blavatsky taught, uh, incidentally. And um, it's worth noting that Blavatsky, at the end of her life, privately in some letters, said she thought that reincarnation was actually very rare. Um, in addition to those, I've got a lot of free stuff on my uh, God Reconsidered Facebook page on afterlife and near-death experiences, and, and um, I've got some blogs on specifically on some of the issues I'm going to bring up, including the last one, the case against Gnosticism number 10, the big issues that religions ignore. So what happened was when I delved into the literature, I realized there were five problems with the conventional thinking about reincarnation. The first is that the evidence is very weak. Surprisingly enough, in fact, it contradicts the, uh, the case that reincarnation makes. Secondly, it's illogical. It sounds logical until you start thinking it through. The third is that it really can't work in a chaotic universe, uh, which really upends all the major religions, East and West, <clears throat> any kind of divine plan. Uh, starting with the fact that uh, about a quarter of all people who have ever been born uh, die in childhood. Um, fourth, our lives here are really irrelevant to any concept of the hereafter. And um, fifth is I finally decided it wasn't just wrong, but it was the second worst idea in religious history. The worst, of course, being uh, the idea that the creator God is benevolent. So, uh, <laughs> Let me um, address a few of the issues of the evidence. And I don't doubt that um, John has had these synchronistic experiences and um, many of the things that people think they are recalling, um, these are easily explainable once you accept the idea of the paranormal. Aside from synchronicity and Jung's uh, collective unconscious, um, if you look into um, James Webster's case against Reincarnation. The spiritualists talk about the desire of spirits 
to influence people here, especially those from India. They've been thinking about reincarnation all their life. They think they got back into bodies, and uh, they try to overshadow mortals. Um, in fact, some of them try to take over the bodies. Um, uh, Scott Rogel talked about the fact that um, some of the um, associates of Stevenson said that he had coached his witnesses in India. The cases were contaminated by the community. Um, there was a profit motive, so fraud. Uh, then he tried to censor the information in making his case, and he even tried to suppress it by talking to editors not to print letters and articles critical of it. And so when you start looking at the cases, uh, they start falling apart in several ways. First of all, historical inaccuracies, uh, contamination by modern concepts. You have one person claiming to be uh, having memories, but it turns out there are two dead people. Then uh, two people claim um, memories of one dead person. Uh, in at least one case I know, uh, the individual they were having the memories of was actually still living. Um, and so this goes to the fact that there are other paranormal ways that you can pick these things up. Um, spirit influence, uh, definitely. Uh, and also just picking up memories from um, both mortals like telepathy. And um, Scott Rogo documented a lot of evidence that at the time of death, people have this like a burst of energy and uh, it's believed by some of the people who are objectively researching this that this would lead sensitive people. John, I think, is certainly one of them to pick up uh, some of those memories. Um, I'm a big believer in synchronicity. I mean, um, I just wrote my little autobiography on my LinkedIn blog about the truly extraordinary stuff that has happened to me, a lot of it in connection with Hinduism, incidentally. And I've shared some of these in our other um, shows. Um, often the case is made, well, what about the, the things like uh, somebody died from hanging and then they, somebody's born with a red circle around their neck? Well, first of all, these can be produced psychosomatically under hypnosis. My wife, Sandra, is a professional hypnotherapist, so I know a little bit about this. Uh, the stigmata, uh, Scott Rogo's book, Miracles, he shows that uh, people who are highly psychic can produce these things. Uh, but let's think for a second about things that we think we're remembering. Everybody knows that eyewitnesses in court contradict each other, describing the same supposed events. How about dreams? I was in Jungian dream therapy for eight years. And um, when you're in a very vivid dreams, it seems real. Now, I had actually dreamed this week that this debate was already over. As far as I can tell, this is the real one, but I guess we'll find out afterwards. We'll have to check your recording if there is one. Um, the, uh, if, if you get into the, um, the near-death literature, and I have a lot of this on the God Reconsidered Facebook page, um, it doesn't really support this. Um, the uh, advanced mediums, uh, the, the advanced spirits, according to the medium cited in James Webster's book, say that uh, the advanced spirits don't teach reincarnation. It's mostly Indians, but there are also spirits who crave a physical body that have not yet been embodied, and they, they would kind of like to promote this. George Anderson, one of the most famous 
uh, mediums and one of the most genuine once asked spirits, uh, is there reincarnation? And they said, well, we don't know. We've heard about it. So it's certainly unsettled even by the people who are on the other side. So um, I think that uh, when it comes to uh, the Gnostic point of view, we can simply say that um, that this is not a dogma. Uh, the Marcionites, which was the most uh, widespread early Christian agnostic church, did not believe it. Uh, some Valentinians did, some did not. Obviously, the Cathars and the, the Manichaeans did, but it's not a dogma, so we're free to agree or disagree. Um, but as I said, the, the other issues that I found um, that uh, really don't make it a logical possibility are really the reasons why that I don't uh, believe in reincarnation myself. Thank you for that, Scott. Yeah, and if you could just pull, you're probably going to have to pull your mic even an inch further because, again, it's, okay. the pops are coming in. Okay. Give it at least an inch it, or more. Yeah, is, is this any better here? I just pulled it down a little bit. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. But, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Well, John, now we will go to your five-minute rebuttal. Again, feel free to uh, talk about something that Scott would have mentioned. I know Stevenson's thing is still considered widely used Jeff Kripal and think his latest books brings it up as uh, so it's a big deal but anyway uh tell us speak to us john yes let's go to the best evidence and beginning with dr ian stevenson who was the head of the department of psychiatry in university of virginia from 57 to 67 until he wrote a book 20 cases suggested reincarnation and uh was then endowed by a, a rich uh person for a division of perceptual studies and he wrote a book on reincarnation and biology involving birthmarks and birth defects. 300 papers, 14 books, 3,000 cases. But of course, there is there are problems maybe with translation and with the Indian culture uh, being used. So his successor, Dr. Jim Tucker, wrote a book, Life After Life, Children's Memories of Previous Lives and Return to Life, Extraordinary Cases of Children Who Remember Past Lives in 2013 and documented some children in the United States who had remarkable memories at a very young age of reincarnation. There was a child named Kevin who died of cancer. Uh, he, was, he had a cancer above his right ear, his left eye, his right leg, and then he died. And then he had a brother, Patrick, who remembered being Kevin, and he was blind in the left eye, he had a nodule above his right ear, and he walked with a limp. He also had a, a birth defect on his neck where Kevin had an, an incision, an IV incision. So Patrick remembered Kevin's apartment building, his surgery, his puppy. Then there's James Leininger from Louisiana, who was a two-year-old. Uh, James thought he was a pilot and went down in World War II and killed. But James uh, ID'd the Natoma. Uh, Bay, which was the aircraft carrier he had taken off from. He ID'd his uh, co-pilot, Jack Larson, and being in Iwo Jima. And when he went to a reunion, he uh, identified a vet that he had known. Uh, he said, um, you're Bob Greenwald. And then there was a, a child named Lee, who was three years old, who thought his middle name was Co. He was born on June 26th, June 21st, 
he wrote movies. He wrote Gone with the Wind, supposedly. He died at 48. This all corresponds with the life of Sidney Coe Howard, who did write Gone with the Wind. And then there's Hunter, who thought he was the golfer Bobby Jones. He ID'd him in a lineup, his father did. Uh, he went to Jones's, he identified Jones's house that he had a son named after him and his friend Harry Varden. He began taking lessons from a golf pro at three and a half, uh, won 41 out of 50 junior golf tournaments when he was seven. And then the book stops there, but um, I did do some research on Hunter Mann, who, um, I don't know if he's the same person, but he did uh, live in Texas, and he won uh, the the high school tournament when he was in high school, and then he turned pro after college, and he um, was ranked fourth in the world at one point, and then top ten until he got married and had three kids, and life happened, so he's now he's trying to get back into shape. but. I'd like to ask um, Scott, too, in terms of, we agree a lot of things. We agree on the pleroma, the higher world. We agree on the world is kind of a tomb and a lot of the crazy stuff that happens down here. But what connects them? To me, it's, it's the kind of a, a Zoroastrian worldview of light and dark and that type of thing. How do you get from one to the other? Right. Well, if I understand your question, um, and I, and I've, I'm starting to read your Samaritan Jesus, and I love your book on Gospel of Thomas, but I think I'm going to have to read it six times to really fully understand it. I, yeah, think, you're, I, I think you're absolutely right on. on the, the, I think you make a very powerful case. Um, you know what? Before I get off on to my other um, uh, comments about reincarnation, I, I do think it's important to do seemingly paradoxical things when we're trying to find the truth. Um, one of the strengths of Gnosticism is that it confronts evil. It does not try to say, oh, it, it, the New Age thing, it's all good. We're, we're, uh, we're going to, my uh, Chris and my son and my wife, Sandra, and I are going to address this uh, next Halloween, what we call the uh, goring the sacred cows. We have this a annual Halloween show. All this new age crap, you know, from Deepak Chopra and everything of it's all good. Yeah, that's what Jehovah said on the seventh day. It's all good. Uh, he left out a few details. <laughs> and so I think Gnosticism is the only spiritual path that recognizing that evil is not just a vacancy. Um, this great new book, um, that uh, you, you had on your show, Miguel, by uh, Alexander Maestrovoy, Gnosticism through oh, the yeah. Prism of the Third Millennium. It's a masterwork of scholarship on the lie of the creator. It's all good. So on the one hand, we have to confront that evil, kind of a, a Zoroastrian or Manichaean uh, black and white dualism. And on the other hand, we have this, the other side of Gnosis, and sometimes these experiences come separately, is that sense of direct connection, of direct revelation, if you will, of the knowledge that this is not our home, that we have uh, another dimension, uh, the pleroma, uh, whatever you want to call it, that is our true home, and that there is a transcendent God, and I think within Gnosticism, this leads to the kind of dualism where we understand why there is not a lot of interference in this world. The transcendent God, and in fact, 
I would argue all these entities from the other world are not able to interfere in this world very effectively. That's why if you read the abduction stories, and I have a whole blog on my Facebook page about this, um, they seem to be trying to create bodies like a hybrid to try to get into this world. They have a hard time operating in this world. And I think that um, these spirits like the Virgin Mary or demons that possess people and stuff, it's not easy for them to get into this dimension. So I think Gnosticism provides that model where we have that spiritual path, that knowledge uh, directly uh, of a glorious future and alternative awareness. And in my view, that makes us optimists in a pessimistic world. It seems paradoxical. And I wrote a whole thing in my, um, on my LinkedIn um, biography about this uh, called My Adventures in Journalism, where I've had this incredible life like, like um, John's of having all these miracles and synchronicities and wild things happening. Yeah, we have a lot of crap happening. And uh, nevertheless, uh, we can be, uh, we can see that light in the darkness in this world. Yeah, well said. And, uh, uh, John, I wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, I know pre-existence of the soul is in the gospel of Thomas. Anything on reincarnation from the Thomasine community? Not really. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, uh, non-dualist. In my my view, yeah. whereas uh, Scott has much more of a dualistic type of view, uh, I mean the Gospel of Thomas does talk about archons and saying fifty, and uh, you can see demiurgic references to the lion in number seven, but it doesn't dwell on these these things so much. It's it it, it really projects more of a God consciousness that's possible. Uh, there, um, in terms of what's connecting the, you know, the higher and the lower worlds, we can look at number fifty-six, uh, the, the saying number fifty-six, which talks about the the world as a corpse, which we often find uh, um, a viewpoint that we can often find, but yet it's also a doublet with with number eighty, and there. Um, the, it's the not the corpse word is used, but it's a body word, and a body can be live with a live spirit moving through it, and so you see the true um, doublets in Thomas. The second one in Thomas informs the first one. So while we have the the world is a corpse, there's really a spirit moving through it, which then brings us to Sophia. Sophia behind the world. Um, and so uh, that is really a theme throughout Thomas is Sophia, the Holy Spirit, uh, nursing in the breast of the Holy Spirit, number four, the same thing in 22. Um, you have n number 101, you have uh, my mother gave me death, but my true mother gave me life. And so this true mother would be Sophia, uh, the mother there. And so the mother is also in, in Greek philosophy, uh, the mother is identified with the dyad, 
you have the monad, the father outside of creation, the dyad, which is potentially evil and chaotic in a sense, um, identified with the, the mother there. And then you have a divine triad as well. There's the demiurge working inside creation too. Um, so this this is the view of Xenocrates, who was the second successor of Plato and, the, and his head of the academy in 339 BCE. So this is why I see um, the world really as uh, non-dualistic. And so I kind of challenge Scott to work with that too. Yeah, if we want to move from reincarnation to dualism or good versus evil or good world versus bad world, I think... Uh... I think that would be great. What do you think, Vance? I think this would be fun, too. Well, I still have a few things to say on reincarnation. All right. Well, then uh, yeah, take so five minutes to talk about reincarnation. Cover. <laughs> yeah. Um, incidentally, the, the cases of children, uh, particularly in India, where they're culturally influenced, um, they tend to disappear between five and eight. Uh, and that's when psychologists say people develop their own personalities. And according to the spiritualists, uh, that's when it becomes hard for the spirits in the other dimension to influence people. So just to kind of give a, an abbreviated uh, version of um, what I was going to say is, first of all, you have a hard time with reincarnation finding the first cause. There would have to be chance or a creator to start out the whole karmic process. And the problem is that the more you know about human history, uh, this is really Russian roulette. You're coming back into a whole new set of dysfunctions and they can't be traced to a prior life. And also, apparently, it's not working. If you believe that the goal is enlightenment, and I've been to India and I've asked Indians about this, not only is their population booming, but they don't know anybody who is on the verge of enlightenment after all these hundreds of things. The second problem is the quantum chaos. Um, you know, we live in a world where 99% of species have been exterminated. In order to carry out any karmic goal, if that is one's goal, then you'd have to have yourself protected in a bubble and everybody else would for each of those particular karmic goals. Uh, the um, the, the problem is that it's so chaotic from, from the quantum level up to the asteroids that uh, if you just think about daily life, um, what if you get drafted to go into World War II? What if there is the tsunami? There are so many things that upend uh, the, the neat idea of reincarnation. <clears throat> but the, more, the, the two last points I want to make is how is life relevant? We're here in our 21st century ivory tower. Look at human history. People were starving to death. We now spend a third of our time working or studying, commuting, a third sleeping. And what do we do with our, our vast free time, especially during lockdown? We're, um, we're eating and sending pictures of our food or shopping playing us uh, we're watching sports not even playing it or we're watching the 500 channels of tv that have one percent content but even when we're really being productive like let's say we have a phd in microbiology exactly how is that going to benefit in the next world what i think is the reason i said i think this is the second worst idea in religious history is if you believe in in 
the the archons as entities or impersonal forces uh, you could call them the illuminati so that's something we're going to address on halloween um, clearly the truth is being obscured whether it's religion politics health anything and we're being distracted so you could say that there is a game going on to get us not to find the truth about anything i mean think about human history why didn't somebody a benevolent entity reveal the existence of germs or the need for sanitation one of the things i don't like about reincarnation in the hindu version in any event uh, is that it blames the victim it says well the holocaust hitler was just uh, carrying out the jews karmic destiny people who get alzheimer's or COVID or anything else you know they had this coming uh and uh Ultimately, if you believe the spiritualists in James Webster's book, um, there, this is an intended trap to try to keep people here, have them want to come back to this life. And, uh, and uh, you know, in the analysis uh, of the books I mentioned, like The Search for Yesterday, um, coming back into this world will just have us going in circles it's not a way of progress ask the people in india nobody is making progress towards enlightenment thank you for that uh, for the audience once again we've got scott smith and john munter having a friendly debate on reincarnation and we're sort of moving uh, it really is relevant or parallels to the topics of suffering cosmic destiny and what kind of world it is. Obviously, I, I would agree with Scott that we are in the highest plane of hell. And the Gnostics <laughs> would agree, so would Origin, so would many of the Greek philosophers, but that's that's our stance. So before we get to you, John, uh, Vance, do you have a question or does the audience have a question in the chat room for either Scott or John? I don't see any questions. Um, and I don't have any questions uh, at this time. I've got my own take on reincarnation, though, which is um, not this serial trapped, you know, sucked into the next lifetime type of thing. But um, is this the time to give a brief description of it? Yeah, yeah. Give us, uh, let yeah, us know your view on reincarnation, <laughs> then we'll get to John talk if John wants to address Scott or maybe talk about why is there suffering in the world. But yeah. go ahead, Vance. Okay. So, anyway. Um, Anybody who listens to the show probably has gathered that I'm a mystic. So as a capital M mystic, I, quote unquote, know there's only one actual consciousness in existence, just one. It splits itself and creates time and becomes each one of us. Now, we've all heard this, right? Everybody's, I'm sure, heard of it, whether or not they subscribe to it. Well, if you start the pleroma from the God above God, which is basically tantamount to this unfathomable uh, unitary consciousness, it can imagine, let's, for lack of a better word, any sequence of development it wants to. So it can think ourselves into being me, it can think ourselves into being you or anybody else. Not only that, it can do the same thing again and again. Not only that, there are connections between the worlds that it thinks itself into so it can make relationships point to point between any two of these things which are in separate times so to speak we call that esp or whatever and so um, that could explain 
why there are some reincarnational connections between one being and another, because it's really the uh, unfathomable one projecting itself into this point and that point and connecting those two dots. So that's a little bit of a taste of what I think. So uh, when we die, we, you know, as the Gnostics believed, uh, can eventually make our way through various levels, perhaps back up to this unitary, unfathomable one, and we can start the process over. So that's kind of in a very great sense. The way it's different than the natural, you know, the, the traditional reincarnation is, number one, it doesn't assume a, an absolute time frame that's common to everybody, that everybody swims around like a little fish. And Einstein kind of proved that time is relative in many ways. And so, and number two, it doesn't assume that consciousness is, that, is in reality little pieces. That's what I mean. What is consciousness then? If it's all these little pieces, where did it come from? Did it split off from one thing? It's like, I think there's really only one. And there's some thought experiments you can do that kind of prove that. Like I said at the beginning, not everybody may have been tuned in, but if the universe is entirely infinite in space, time, and everything else, that means everything can happen again and again and again, maybe in slightly different ways. And so I can be here an arbitrary number of times in this debate, talking to everybody out here, and so can each one of you. And so the question arises, which one are we? Are we Vance number six, Vance number 10, you know, Miguel number 68? Which one are we? I mean, we're all, you know, kind of swimming in parallel, but which one are we? Well, we're all of them. And so if you continue that line of thinking, that's what can lead you back to, you know, the fact that consciousness is the great mighty one. The end. Well said indeed. Thank you for that. Uh, for the audience, yes, if you do have a question, please type it in caps, lots of, uh, or question marks, and we will certainly get to it. And I don't know if we'll even get to it tonight, but we also have to consider the third option, which is reincarnation beyond this earth automatically into different level, into higher dimensions. So this is an attitude that origin adopted the mendians also adopt that uh, there's no reincarnation in the material world you sort of go up and you hope to avoid uh, the archons that are up there that are running the purgatories in higher dimensions i think uh, i think i just missed the mormons believe in something like that a yes. lot of the sethians do so that's sort of the the other reincarnation and let's not even get into the kabbalah where it gets really really wild so John, would you like to address the idea of suffering, or you want to address Vance, or you just want to address Scott and reincarnation? Your call. I'd agree with Vance that there's a unitary consciousness going on here, and when we look at nuclear physics and quantum physics in the modern world, I think we have to come to some sort of realization of that sort, and that our choice of lives is done by us. I think um, Scott is helpful in bringing up false ideas of reincarnation or we're compelled by some other force to go through some karmic reincarnation until we're purified or something. But on a higher level, I think we choose to go in. If we killed somebody in a, in a past life, then we may want to go in and, and die ourselves in another incarnation just to balance things out energy-wise or something like that. I think in terms of choice of lives, uh, we choose things 
you know, if, if our vibratory rate is uh, focusing on humility, for example, if that's kind of our, 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 our base rate, then one life may be experiencing extreme humility, another life may be experiencing um, somebody else being humble and writing about it or, or not being humble in a third life or, you know, all the different variations of humility that, and so we become God's investigator of humility or our, our, whatever our vibratory rate is, whether it's love or justice or something else. But I think we should talk also about the um, ancient Greek philosophers because I consider them experiencers and uh, important witnesses um, from the beginning. I mean, you had Dionysius, the worship of that, 1300 BCE, and it developed into ecstatic dancing, music, wine. And if you talk to Carl Ruck and Chris Bennett, uh, certainly they were using mushrooms and cannabis. <laughs> yeah. And then it developed into Orphism, you know, a philosophical male circle of higher initiates of Dionysus who started developing ideas around what they were experiencing. They rejected animal sacrifice, became vegetarians. They, they wanted to be free from the wheel of rebirth and the body is a tomb and that type of thing. They did uh, astral projection and, you know, that type of thing. And, and then coterminous with them is Pythagoras and from the 6th century BC as well. And he upped the ante as well. And, for example, even to see Pythagoras, you had to spend five years in silence. So these guys were really serious. Um, and they used frankincense, but... You know, and that, that day and age was like cannabis, whatever they mixed together for different things. And certainly they were into entheogens. Um, they were very ascetic into prophecy, astral projection and trance and reincarnation, that type of thing. And then when Pythagoras died, Empedocles was born. He also believed in reincarnation. He believed you, 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 you know, you drunk fire from an immortal potion, for example. So it tells you that he was using entheogens as well there. Um, and then we come to Socrates, who was uh, only you know, a few years later, but he um, was parodied by Aristophanes as a shaman digging up roots, which may have been mandrake roots, possibly, you know. But he changed the know thyself idea from the Delphic oral oracles would have a prince come to them and they would say, well, you're... Uh, Know thyself. There's know that your humility. You're a human being. Don't you know? Get too smart, smart ass, and that type of thing. But Socrates used it more in the sense of the higher self. We don't know anything with our conscious minds. We're receiving information. We're thinking logically. We're contemplating. We know that truth can come through our own contemplations. And so this was the true higher self that he was focusing on. And Plato himself, there's a lot of debate whether he believed in reincarnation or not, but his idea of knowledge is that you remembered knowledge, you remembered forms, so that implies pre-existence of the soul. And he didn't talk uh, much to the public because he saw what happened to Socrates, and he didn't want to die from, you know, from his uh, people around him. So he only gave one public lecture, actually, and... Uh, much of what we know we can only infer. Uh, but from then on, you have um, widespread teaching of reincarnation. Uh, my professor, Richard Drummond, from the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary, where I got my uh, MDiv degree, um, was an expert on Buddhism, and he wrote um, 
a, a book on it because he was an expert on the Japanese language and he could decipher Japanese scripture. So his opinion was Buddha, uh, reincarnation was an integral part of the worldview of Hinduism and Buddhism from very early periods, as of almost all the religious traditions originating in India. Similar beliefs have been extensive in African religions among Native Americans and in pre-Christian Greece and Rome. They've also been found among the ancient European peoples, the Finns, the Laps, the Danes, the Norse, the Icelandic peoples, among Old Prussians and early Teutonics, Lithuanians, Letts, and Lombards of Italy. So there you go. When you come down to, uh, of course, the modern-day um, Pharisees probably believe in reincarnation, and there's hints in the Bible about it from John the Baptist being the reincarnation of Elijah, and uh, who sinned this man or his father? Well, that kind of implies reincarnation, and of course, you've got Manny and the Cathari and facilities believed in it, and so it's, it's quite widespread. And there you have it, my beloved truth seekers. The first part of our discussion was Scott Smith and John Munter. Starting to recall past lives or still think it's all bungle in the jungle? Find out more in our second part. And that could or not mean a lot of total recall. The revolution of the spirit and the mind in the name of Hypatia continues. And this is our last stand in 2020. Time to wake up fully and reach your potential. And I'm here with you every step of the way. Including the audio version, this is a cool listen if you leverage the private RSS feed from AB Prime or Patreon that works in the podcast provider of your choice. So please become a member or patron at Patreon and support this Red Pill Cafeteria. Go to thegodabovegod.com for means to assist and get the infernal rewards. Or just contact me. I can't do it without you. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever. Might be the only way to counteract the galactic nutsack Yaldi Baldi has placed on the collective consciousness of humanity. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self. Hello and goodbye, as always. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.